Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score. I think this is the hope they come out against a Hawks team that is, you know, competitive, but they come out engaged and they prove that what happened in Paris doesn't have to stay in Paris, and they bring it back to Chicago, and they are a different team the second half of the season. I'm counting on the Bulls starting to win. Caruso lets it fly to three good. I'll tell you what, Bill, we've had deflections, we've had stumbling and bumbling and bumbling, but it, it works. And Caruso with the steal, on the runway, to the rack, and it turned and slam dunk. Two on one of the aisle. The trailer's coming to the rack. Oh, my goodness. He just gave John Collins a bull facial. The Rosen, three crossovers, top of the key. You forgot it. Big time shot. And this ball game is over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Start your mornings with Mully and Hawk. 5.30 till 10 a.m. Big time. On 670, the score. I'm getting out the dancing shoes. Let's go. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. And yes, indeed, Chuck was dancing. The Bulls were winning. It continues as the Bulls start stacking some victories, Mr. David. Morning, Molly. Happy Tuesday. Yeah, we know one thing after last night. The Bulls got a victory, and Chuck Swirsky is not jet-lagged. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he is... Uh, as, as wired as ever, he energetic. He brought it last night. It was a fun broadcast, a fun game to watch. They did what they needed to do, yeah. and the, hey, so far so good. That's four games in six nights stretch. They did. They got off to the right to right start. Well, this is an important one tonight, right? Because they did get off to the right start. They did beat a team that uh, that had been ahead of them. They are inching ever closer to that magic 500 number. Uh, and I don't know that that number is magic, but you gotta, you gotta win some games. And this is the Pacers team that you should beat, but they're a hardworking team. They're gonna, they're gonna give you a game and you know that going in. The Pacers are everything. Uh, uh, they epitomize the, the, the term kind of overachieving. They shouldn't be where they are, and they're not having a great season, but it's better than people expected. In Indy, they expected this team to kind of resemble the kind of team that tanks. And this is a bigger test because the Bulls now, it'll be how how back are you really and how energetic are – how do those legs feel now? And so, yeah, this is a, maybe a better test, but let's face it, the Bulls, the, you saw last night when you see yeah. the depth – uh, six players in double figures. That's the way things should work. That's the way it should look. How about Patrick Williams? I, I mean, you know, look, look, uh, it, the game is obviously DeMar DeRozan, his thousandth game, and he's got 26 points, and we know Zach's got 20. But um, but Patrick Williams not only has his that, – that, was that his first double-double of the season – He's got 18 points, 10 rebounds. He's he's an impact player in the fourth quarter. Well, it's about time. I, I really, yeah, I, no question. I, I need to find out if that is his first double-double. If it is, that says a lot right there. And I found it interesting the way that Bulls veterans talk about Patrick Williams, who you, when you, you know, listen to DeMar DeRozan talking about giving him a hard time and being getting on his nerves kind of playfully, but it's it's right. leaving the impression, Molly, that this is a young man that can be difficult to reach, and his limitations are uh, because of maybe f- focus, uh, readiness, the kinds of things that are more intangible than not. Because athletically, as we saw last night, the skills are there, the ability is there. It's just reaching it on a more consistent basis. I, I thought he played more confidently. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I thought he went at the basket a couple times that surprised me, and he knocked down his three. He didn't hesitate. I, I thought he played well, honestly. And, and, I mean, it's rare that we get to say that. So, maybe an unexpected contribution from Patrick Williams. Well, I think the one, one thing, too, is to keep in mind, because this Bulls season remains 
somewhat it could go either way you know I, I made the Celtics yep. reference last week I don't know if that's overstating it but it could certainly stagnate too again I wonder you still wonder until they don't make a move February 9th looms as the trade deadline and you wonder is this going to be a team that after a game like last night, other teams are curious about Patrick Williams and his future. What would they give up? Do the Bulls feel like this is somebody they want to hold on to because of his draft status and because of the potential that was on display last night? So there's another level of intrigue there besides just reaching Patrick Williams and getting him to be consistent. You wonder, what does his future hold? And is it likely to be in Chicago, where I think they probably should hold on to him, but I don't think you ever say no. Well, that was indeed his first double-double, David. And that is his first uh, his first double-digit rebound game. So, so obviously what's been holding him back, he has not been a very good rebounder. And it was good to see. It was just good to see him make some hustle plays and go after the ball a bit. Well, what does he need to do to be a better rebounder, Coach Donovan? How about jump? <laughs> Remember that one yeah, with Eddie Curry awesome. and Scott Skiles? Yeah. And that comes yeah. to mind because somebody who – has his size and his athleticism, that should not be at this point in the midseason the, the first time that he has double-digit yep. rebounds. His high, his season high had been eight, so he blew that thing away. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> uh, it's good to see him win. I, I, and you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't get the same sense that I had watching them in Paris, you know, where you felt like they were going to take control of the game and not give it up. I mean, they – they did give it up, and it, there was a you know a scary moment there in the third quarter. But they came back and they won the game, and and that's what it's all about. So it was good to see. They held your interest down the stretch because you were yep. wondering, is this going to be another one of those games? The Hawks are pesky. Uh, it wasn't their night, and it, the Bulls did what they needed to do. Alex Caruso defensively, I think, provided a spark. That's his role. That's his job. And you got to. Uh, you know, in DeMar yes. DeRozan's 1,000th career game, he That's was extraordinary. That's unbelievable. It, it really is. But he was everything that you you know have seen in the first 999. Very consistent and very reliable. <laughs> it's just a lot of games. And I, I you know, listen. There's 82 games in the season. I understand. I I covered the uh, the NBA in one alliteration of my life, and I got to tell you, it is really a marathon. It's not a sprint. All that stuff. All the the old adages are are very accurate. That that can be an unbelievable grind of a season, and to put together a thousand games in your career is extraordinary. Especially the way that he has done it. You know, yeah. very yeah. Uh, unassuming. He's he's a guy that is pretty in pretty consistent, and you know you're always going to get the effort level. And uh, he's he's a very I don't want to say methodical, but you know what you're getting on a night in night in basis with Demar Derozan, and on a night where Patrick Williams gets his first double double of the season, you couldn't have a better example for him to follow because this is what you want to be when you're all grown up, Patrick Williams and Demar Derozan. You appreciate what he is and has become. I think it's extraordinary that DeMar kind of toiled in the hinderlands, if you will, of the NBA, right? You're you're in uh, Toronto all those years, and maybe you don't get the same eyeballs on you as a result. You're you're in uh, San Antonio, and, that, and that's been a very successful franchise, but it is also, you know, kind of Western Conference. There's a certain anonymity that goes with playing in places like that. And it, it really hasn't been till he's come to Chicago. And I, and I should be careful how I say that because I think he's always gotten recognition. But I don't, I don't know that everyone realized how good he was or if he ever had MVP uh, status until he came to the Bulls and, and what he has managed to do in the last couple of years. Well, I don't think it's unrelated to what we were talking about last week with the Bulls in Paris and the worldwide right. global brand. And when you, when you wear the Bulls uniform, that comes with a certain marquee value, right? right. And so it, everything happens a little bit lo more loudly. And so DeMar DeRozan, to some degree, Molly, the what you just described and with the way we talk about him 1,000 games into his NBA career, Toronto and San Antonio were the perfect teams for him because they were well-respected, very just workmanlike, and franchises that – that won somewhat quietly. So DeMar DeRozan was in the perfect spot. Now he comes to Chicago at this stage of his career. 
and we're all appreciating him maybe a little bit more because when you put on that Bulls uniform, everybody notices you a little bit more. So uh, yesterday was fun from the, uh, the the hot stove league standpoint. I mean, look, you know, championship Sunday is set in the NFL, and we're going to be talking about it all week, and we'll pick it apart, I'm sure, today as well. But I thought that having Trey Mancini's introduction, that was kind of neat, and that was good to see. Uh, good guy. Enjoyed that. And then whatever that was with Aloy. Well, oh my God, David. We'll, we'll get into the details. No more DH. Oh my God, that's it. Well, oh, no more DH. Give me a break. Here's the thing that's impossible to ignore, and because you, and you put it in these terms, and if you're just a Chicago baseball fan trying to consume news and developments on both sides of town, you had a you had a striking contrast on Monday. Oh. You had somebody who has the benefit of, of, of perspective after 10 years as a big leaguer. Trey Mancini comes to the Cubs, not accidentally. He wanted the Cubs. They wanted him. He'll play wherever. He's at the stage of his career where he's willing to do whatever and probably do it at a, at a high level. So that perspective was obvious in everything he said. Aloy Jimenez has some growing up to do. I think we can agree on that, and then that's maybe – a blanket statement, but when you heard him, maybe playfully, jokingly, whatever the oh, case no. may be. He was dead serious. You think he was dead serious? Oh, I know he was dead serious. David, I, I like, you know, I just took that in, listened to it, and then I just went out just slammed my the car door on my head for a <laughs> few minutes, you know. It's what the socks make you do. Well, it, it surprised me. And, and, no more DH. Well, they they got a guy to play left field. Can he honestly? You you okay? You're doing the bait. You're you're voting on the hall. Have you seen a right fielder with a kind of pop gun arm? Right. No offense to Aloy, he's not really an outfielder. And the idea that he's going to now move to the more difficult, the the, the demanding of a, of a strong arm position, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why they're even entertaining the possibility. Well, I'm not sure that they are, Molly. That, that, that's the, what I think stood out to me as much as anything, is that here we have the manager in Pedro Grafol, who we talked about our interview on Saturday, and everything about him so far, very likable. And very consistent. And what is consistent about him? He claims to be and comes across as a, a first-class communicator. Somebody needs to communicate to Aloy. You yeah. are not an outfielder. You may try it once a week. You may try it because spring training want to keep you engaged. But somebody has not made the message as loudly and clearly as it needs to be after hearing what he had to say yesterday He's not an outfielder. He is a DH, and that's the best thing for this team. It's insane to think of him as not only an outfielder, but now a right fielder. It, it's just, it's, it's honestly, it's the ramblings of a madman when you hear that kind of talk. Because it, that's just, that's just nonsensical. That, that, you know, you went out and you decided you were going to get an actual outfielder to play the outfield. And I don't want to. I don't want Aloy getting injured playing right field. I don't want Aloy out there. I mean, I don't even agree with once a week. I think they said that just to kind of appease him. I thought so oh. too. I, I thought that was the whole reason you were sort of placating a, a veteran until you got him in person in Arizona. You yeah. needed to say whatever was necessary during the off season, and then when you get him face to face, man to man, Aloy, what's best for this team? is for you to hide your glove. And that, okay, whatever. You know what? Because, again, to contrast it with what we heard from Trey Mancini, Trey Mancini, hey, I learned from Buck Showalter, uh, I, don't know, I don't know where I'm going to play until four hours before the game. That's right. okay with me because I'll do whatever you need to do. Right. And that's the attitude you need to take to be a, a consummate professional, and that's what we have yet to hear from Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, I, I can understand that Eloy views himself as – an everyday player that he understands that his, you know, he doesn't like the idea of only being a hitter. I mean, well, give it a give it a chance. Just concentrate on that. I, and I don't think he should hide his glove. I think they should hide his glove. 
I think you got to do whatever it takes to keep him out of the outfield. And it doesn't make any sense to me that this has somehow escaped him. And, and really, all it does is set up another problem that the Sox are going to have to work through in order to get out the other side of whatever's going on with this organization. It doesn't have to be a problem. The, the way that I would interpret this is that okay. it doesn't have to be a problem if you handle this directly and if you are as good of a communicator as you were hired to be, Pedro Gafal. This is on him, Molly. This is on them. Aloy sounds like an immature professional athlete right now, not putting the team ahead of his individual pursuits or individual desires. This can't be the case, especially after last season, especially with the new manager. Read the room. It, it no longer includes Jose Abreu. So without Jose Abreu as your designated hitter, what does Aloy think the, is the best thing for the, the, the White Sox? For him to play right field, he can't possibly conceivably think that, can he? Yeah, he apparently does. He shouldn't. And I, and I think they have a problem because he still thinks that, and he is he is kind of sticking with that idea. Well, and he, in his mind, he is a significantly better outfield than they're giving him credit for, and he's improving, and he's going to get better, and he's working at it. And the only reason that he went along with the DH last year is because he was injured. That's basically what he said. And I think he's a very honest guy. I don't think he's making that up. I think that's how he feels, and I think they got a problem. I'm not denying that they have a problem. I should maybe restate that. They, they definitely have a problem they need to address. I guess if I am the White Sox, though, I'm viewing this as this is not a problem that we want to deal with. This is not one that we need right. to deal with. Right. This is a problem we need to eliminate because it can't be an issue. It, when you're listing things that are legitimate issues for the White Sox before spring training, dealing with the Loy Jimenez's ego and his psyche should not be among the, the things on the list. Learn what it takes to be a designated hitter. You are a gifted hitter. You have capability of hitting 40 home runs any given season if you can stay healthy. You're going to stay healthy more likely by being our designated hitter. Do whatever you need to do to get in that state of mind. You know, I totally I totally agree with everything you're saying. The problem is that they did not make that clear to him somehow and that he does feel like he is uh, this sort of uh, uh, wunderkind outfielder <laughs> that is just waiting to explode. And I, I don't know how this is going to go. I think he's a good guy. I don't. I think he's a happy guy. I don't think that he's the kind of person that's going to try to create trouble. But clearly, he believes that he needs to be deployed as an outfielder. And and I, I think the fact that they haven't kind of talked to him about it yet, the fact that he came out yesterday just, oh, hey, by the way, I'm here. Oh, yeah, the team's going to be – I'm an outfielder. That – that's a problem. Well, that is not that is not a, a good thing to have happen because my fear is that if he doesn't play in the outfield, if he doesn't, you, you know, I I don't think he's a completely immature guy or anything like that. My fear is that he goes into a little bit of a tailspin or he goes into a little bit of funk as a result of not being an an a, uh, an outfield player. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem. Well, that would I just think it's a problem. Yeah, that would reveal him as an immature player. Molly, let's be honest here. I mean, th this is something that deserves our attention and certainly merits discussion because of the way things went. But how hard is it for him to do this? This is clearly hard. It, it shouldn't clearly... be, though. Do you know what I mean? Well, it shouldn't I, be. I, listen, I understand that in your mind, and, and and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying anybody looking at it would say, okay, listen, you are best if you do this. But I I don't know that he agrees with that. And as a result, there's just this potential problem here where where his vision of himself isn't going to fit into what clearly the team needs him to do. So uh, it, that's it's just the reality of how the guy views himself. And it's not it's not a positive situation right now because apparently nobody told him. 
that uh, that outfield is verboten, and and he still believes that he's going to end up there. Well, so at some point in time, that playfulness is going to start to become and come across as unprofessional, and is going to be something that isn't funny anymore. And the high mom stuff is cute and re- reflective of Aloy at, at a time when he was coming into the league and and bursting onto the scene. But it, it, if he's not getting the message then he's not paying attention. And somebody maybe needs to communicate that clearly, but he didn't sound like a team guy yesterday. And I think that was in stark contrast to what you heard from Trey Mancini. And I don't think that uh, that was the intent, certainly, of the Sox making Eloy Jimenez available because they're trying to do you know make some players available because they haven't had this the fan fest. But that that was not what you wanted to hear if you're – paying attention closely to the White Sox and what to expect out of some of their brightest young players. But I, I think I, – I don't want to portray him as the villain in this thing because I think that that he has been fairly consistent in believing that he's better than he is as an outfielder and that he's improving and that he's going to be really good as an outfielder. I think there's there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with setting goals. The problem is – they haven't explained to him why that's a bad idea, in my opinion. And so I think it's it's real easy to say that, that he's not being a team guy. He's try, He's still at a point in his life where he's trying to be the best player he can be, and he believes that's in the outfield, and he's going to show them. I don't think they've explained it to him that – they don't need him uh, to show them that, and they don't want that. All right. I, I mean, I'm not going to form any hard and fast conclusion about Eloy right. Jimenez on January 24th, but right. but I will say that when he makes the statement during a Zoom conference, I don't really think that I'm going to accept it. I mean, oh my <laughs> that, I, I, it gives me pause, Molly. I mean, you have to admit uh, that when you hear that, you start to worry and project, like, is this a guy in the right frame of mind for his team? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I like Eloy Jimenez. You know, heck, I'm sure Kevin from Palatine is going to call at 640 and say, oh, David, stop calling him a star and, and stop having high expectations. I love Eloy, but I think that he's got to get on board. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be harder than, than we imagine. I, I think that's what we learned yesterday is that he's not on board. And that's what I, that's my reaction is just like, oh, good God. Like, it's almost like, you're running around putting out all these fires. You're trying to get – and then, like, oh, my God, there's, like, this horrible – look at the barn is burning. It, this, it's a disaster. This should not be an issue. This should no. be an asset, not a liability. Oh, my gosh. And, and I got to tell you, I just – it was so White Sox. It was just – you know, there's never going to be any quiet uh, solitude. There's not – it's just – you're always going to have a troubled mind if you follow that team, that's just the reality of it. And I, you know, I love Aloy too, and I'd like to see him really succeed as a DH. That's just me. I don't want you to have a troubled mind. I want you I to have, be at peace today. If you, thank you, buddy. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate that, but no, I, I have a very troubled mind, as you well know. All right, that made me chuckle. We, We've got we've got so much to get to. Uh, we got a lot of good bull stuff. We're gonna get into. How about this? Uh, the, Dustin found it the last time Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy faced off. It was a forty-two forty-one classic in twenty nineteen. That was the furious rally. We talked a little bit about those two guys facing off in college, and now here they go again in the NFC Championship game. It's fantastic. Was that Purdy's fault, too, the Iowa State not being able to beat Oklahoma? Do you remember that game, and do you remember doubting Purdy as much then as you do now? Oh, I think that's unfair. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, – I'm It's totally unfair, but, you know. I'm not hypnotized by the story, okay? <laughs> well, that's because you have a troubled mind. That's right. I never settle it. All right, we've got the pick six next. We're going to tear apart all the stories of the day. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6, 7 to the score. Hi, Mom. It's pick six with Molly and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Molly Haw. Pick six with Molly and Haw starts now. 
All right, guys, the Bulls, they've won three in a row. They won last night 111-100 over the Hawks. They had six Bulls players in double figures last night. Can this winning streak reach six by week's end? Boy, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if they started stacking some wins together? And, you know, frankly, it should. It should reach that point. But they're going to have to play with the same kind of intensity and fire that they that they showed uh, during this three-game winning streak. I mean, they, they really need to take care of business right now. And it starts with the Pistons. And I got to tell you, if it wasn't for the entirety of the season, I would believe them fully capable of it. But unfortunately, too many times we've seen that slip away. And really, on the on the second half of back-to-backs, there is a little bit of an issue with energy, etc. So maybe that's just uh, maybe that's just a takeaway from from Zach earlier in the year. But it just feels like they're going to need to bring it tonight and they're probably going to need some help from some unexpected areas i also i didn't think that zach levine kind of took over the game he seemed to play uh more kind of uh with other there there may be an opportunity tonight there may be a necessity for him to really uh get it going and have uh have uh, a, a little bit of a takeover a, a zach takeover if you will um i think they're certainly capable of it should it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Say a novena. <laughs> Molly, I think you make a great point there about Zach Levine, and that's where I was going. This tonight is a Zach Levine game. He was there, but it was almost like he wasn't there or not needed. This is a night where I think you're going to need 30-plus points from Zach Levine. The $200-plus million man needs to show up, wear a fancy pair of New Balance shoes that he wants uh, everybody to see, and uh, go down to Indianapolis and uh, carry the Bulls to a victory. So very important. Also, what we also need to see is Patrick Williams, who had his first double-double of the night. Okay, Here's what we don't need. We don't need a 32-minute, six-point, four-rebound, one-for-five from three-point effort from Patrick Williams. That's something we don't need. Um, can they get to six in a row? Absolutely, based on who they're playing. But just uh, for what it's worth, the Magic did beat the Celtics last night, and Magic are part of the uh, Bulls' next couple of contestants. Yeah, so they got the best out of their system now, so they don't need it later in the week. There you go. A team like that doesn't play that well twice in the same week. They've got the Hornets, they've got the Magic, and tonight they have the Pacers. This is the biggest challenge, I think, of the four, because last night... You should have expected that. The Bulls are in a position to where you should demand that because of their depth, because of their quality and talent and all of those things that are true. They're better than the Hawks. They should be better than the Hawks, and they're better than the Pacers. But tonight is the biggest challenge to me, the back-to-back nature of the schedule. You guys want Zach to step forward. Let's see if he's, you know, how he feels when he wakes up this morning. This is a back-to-back that we weren't supposed to be able to take for granted from Zach Levine until this point of the season. But I believe that it doesn't necessarily have to all fall on him. What we saw last night is what you should come to expect from the Bulls. Depth. They had six players in double figures. Do it again. Rely on that depth. When you're down the stretch, let DeMar bail you out in the fourth quarter. Let him be that guy again because that is your recipe. That is the formula. That is the way you are built. So use it tonight. That's a great question, and I appreciate it. Do you like the idea that new Cubs first baseman Trey Mancini has chosen team over country and pulled out of the WBC? I knew going into free agency, being on a new team, you know, a lot of times when you're around a new team and and wanting to get to know the guys, it's important to be there all the spring. So, you know, that's on me for not holding off until I knew what situation I was going into. So did Trey Mancini make the right decision? So dramatic. It's like team over country. Me over the broader cause. Let's play for Team Italy. All right, I'm good with that. That's fine. This is a Cub who is a Cub because he liked everything that the Cubs are doing, and he's also somebody that they identified as it would be a perfect fit in their clubhouse. You expect Trey Mancini, after hearing him and talking to people who are familiar with him back at Notre Dame throughout his career with the Orioles, this is what you expect him to say. I love the fact that everything about Trey Mancini, when we heard from him yesterday, whether it was with Dan and Lawrence uh, on their show or during his Zoom conference, everything that Trey Mancini said was about the Cubs, 
was about putting the team first. How does he fit in? What can he do? Where can he play? This was an unselfish professional who has lasted a decade in the majors by being an unselfish professional. He understands how to prepare himself. This is all part of it. He wants to be in the clubhouse. He wants to get to know his teammates. He wants to, hey, novel concept, do whatever's necessary for his team to be better. Well, if he can play as well as he handled himself both in the Zoom and with Dan and Lawrence, the Cubs are going to get a guy for a bargain that's willing to play wherever David Ross tells him, that's willing to show up and be part of all of spring training because that's what he thinks is best. I understand that he hit below 200 last year, and that's not good enough at all. But I think uh, we all like a good story. He's a really good story. He's a good guy, and if he can be a good player, that's a heck of a trifecta. You know, I think it was Ryan Dempster back in the day that withdrew from the WBC. I think it was – I can't think of a lot of uh, Canadian Cubs. And the headline in the Canadian paper was, Dempster chooses Cubs over country. (laughs) 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 Which I always always thought was hysterical. And with Trey Mancini, what's even funnier is he was going to play for Italy. So I think he's allowed to not play for Italy – I believe he's American and of Italian uh, descent, so God bless him. Uh, And and I like his reasons. I I like what he said, that it's important when you join a team to be around everyone, to spend time with them. I mean, this is sort of an anti-Aaron Rodgers statement, isn't it? So I, uh, I enjoy that fact. I think he's a really good guy. I think he's a great story. And I hope that he plays better than he did last year. And hopefully the energy and the juice he gets from, from being around that, uh, the Cubs crowd, etc., will, uh, will lift all boats. So, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I'm, I'm glad he's chosen Cub over country. You never hear a t- hockey player doing that in Canada, would you? Oh my God, that would be, <laughs> why would a hockey player want to play for the Cubs? <laughs> You're a very good journalist. You're asking a lot of good questions. You know the Cubs did once draft a Gretzky. Oh, is that right? I did not know that. Do the White Sox have an Aloy Jimenez problem? Do you, like Aloy, expect him to play more games in the outfield than DH? With Andrew Benatendi in the fold, does that mean, as he believes, Aloy is a right fielder as opposed to a left fielder? Does he have a good enough arm for the move? Is the guy a DH, or is he creating a problem by pushing against it? I don't really think uh, that I'm going to accept it because if I'm working hard, it's because I want to get better and I want to play in the outfield. So do the Sox have an Aloy Jimenez problem? (laughs) (laughs) The Sox have a world of problems. You know, I, I honestly, I was thinking, I was kind of chuckling to myself when I heard that because I was thinking that maybe, you know, the way to, that the White Sox resolve this one is move Benatendi out of left field, put him in right, and then put Aloy back out. Come on, man. They got, they, I mean, this is just, did, did somebody miss the meeting? Did they not go to this guy and explain to him what their plan is? I think it's a lot different than Trey Mancini. I I don't want to compare these two guys because I think Aloy is still in his mind at the beginning of his career. And in his mind, he probably sees himself as this kind of burgeoning uh, Hall of Fame track outfielder. And the reality is that he's a real good hitter and can help his team a lot if he will just DH. Um, I thought when they mentioned the right field thing, that that was probably because Yasmani Grandal was going to have to play somewhere because they've given him money and he can't catch every day. I, and I thought, well, maybe that's what they're getting at. That's not. This is all about Aloy. I mean, yeah, oh, my God, this is a train wreck. It's just, just don't start the season with uncertainty about what you expect and what you want to do versus what the team needs you to do. Yes, they have an alloy problem. But, you know, in the first segment of the show, you guys did a really good job talking about this topic. But you, know, you talked about Pedro Grafol's role in this. Well, how about Rick Hahn's role in this? Okay, he, he is the general manager. He's the guy who traded for this guy. He is the boss. He, he is in charge of the players, and he's in charge of the manager. So w- where is he? Where's Kenny Williams in, in this? He's the president 
of the team. You know, like get 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 involved. Um, you know, the quote, I don't really think that I'm going to accept it. I mean, play a Trey Mancini cut for the guy. You know, maybe somebody should like slide into his DMs and slide in a link to the Marquee Sports Network or his interview with uh, Lawrence and Dan yesterday and have him listen to that, what a professional baseball player sounds like when he's asked questions about what he's going to do for his new team. Okay, I don't even think you need to do that, even though the contrast was undeniable and it was there for everybody to hear who consumes Chicago radio and Chicago sports. But, Molly, you're exactly right. I said Pedro Gafol, but he's the new guy in town. It does, shouldn't all fall at his feet. You've got somebody in Eloy, Eloy Jimenez that is 26 years old and has all-star potential. He does, Kevin from Palatine. He does have star potential. But he's also got a problem because he's only been, he's only been available for 139 games over the last two seasons. The last two seasons. He doesn't have more than 505 at-bats. The last two seasons. You have somebody who is falling well short of his potential. Why? Because he can't stay out of harm's way. How is the best way, what is the best method to do that, to keep him healthy, to get him available, to help him realize his potential? Stay out of the outfield all the time. I don't care what you want one day a week. I don't care what you're trying to do. I don't care if you don't accept it. You want to be a major leaguer. You want to be a member of this organization. This is who you are. This is what you do. And somebody needs to send that message in a stronger way than it has been sent. Because if they're going to say, well, we've told him this and we've made this clear. No, you haven't. He's not getting it. And until he does, you've got a problem. You can call it an alloy problem, but this is a White Sox problem. That's going to be a question for you okay. guys. Okay. There's the voice of Dave Wanstead. will be with the guys at 744 right here. On the score, the Bears are one of six NFL teams that haven't won a playoff game in the past decade. The other five are the Dolphins, the Commanders, the Lions, the Raiders, and the Jets. Which one is closest to breaking the streak? Who's the furthest away? Oh, my. You talk about a problem. This is a Bears problem. I I can't believe this. I think our guy Jay Kuda is the one that put this out there yesterday in the Twitter machine. The Bears aren't. The, the Bears are the furthest away of these six teams. No, the Bears, the Dustin, hey, you get your chance. Hold on. Bad blood brewing here, Molly. Bad blood is brewing. Listen, the Bears are further away than the Dolphins, the Commanders, the Lions, the Raiders, and the Jets. I don't know how you can look at it any other way if you're looking at it objectively. And who's the closest? Uh, I think the Jets are one quarterback away from getting into the playoffs and maybe winning a game. And they could make the move to get the right quarterback, as Dustin mocks me here. But I'm saying it's an easy one for me. The the, the commanders were on the verge. They're, they get the right quarterback. The Bears have a quarterback. They've got nothing else. That's the problem. They've got nothing else. So they are clearly, to me, the furthest away from breaking the streak and winning a playoff game. Well, if the Jets are one quarterback away, then the Bears are one wide receiver away. Okay, DeAndre Hopkins and the Bears win a playoff game next year. I mean, you got to talk me through the Commanders, David, and the and the Raiders. I mean, I could see I could see the Dolphins; they were on the cusp. Okay, the Commanders, they the have Lions were on the cusp. They have a defensive line that the Bears would envy. Sure, and a de- would- but a def- just a defense. They have a quarterback that nobody's ever heard of, except his mom, his dad, and his high school sweetheart. <laughs> Are you done? Sure. Okay. I, I'll, I Bears. Mean, Bears. Yeah. Um, I would say Bears that uh, the Bears are the farthest away right now. Oh, come They're on. Just, uh, okay. <laughs> are you done? Um, I think that Miami is close. I think that Detroit is fairly close. Um, the Jets, if you know rumors are accurate, could be close. They got some good young talent. Um, you know, Las Vegas, not very good. It fell apart. Who's going there? Who are they bringing in? And uh, the Washington Commanders could also be a team. I think Vegas is probably the closest to the Bears uh, in this list. But the Bears, Dustin, they they don't have they don't have a, a, a defensive line. They don't have a, an offensive line right now, right? I mean, 
it's a, it's hard to line this up. It's not just about getting one receiver. They they need a new front seven, and it's going to be hard to get all that stuff in in one off season. I think the Bears are two years away, not one year away. So I would say they're farthest away. Are you Did you get asked that? a tough question? Can you believe Patrick Mahomes? He's 0-3 against Joe Burrow since the Bengals quarterback became a starter. Each of those games has been decided by exactly three points, with Cincinnati outscoring the Kansas City Chiefs 28-6 in the fourth quarter and overtime of those games. Is Burrow better than Mahomes, or does he need to prove that on Sunday? I think that right now, with Mahomes compromised, is better. I think Joe Burrow is absolutely a great player. And if they actually get past uh, the Chiefs this weekend in in Kansas City for the second year in a row, and if they are outscoring them, whatever it is, 26-6 in the fourth quarter in overtime, that's unbelievable. That means he's closing the deal. And I was stunned to see that Mahomes is 0-3 against him. Because I remember those games. They've been good games. They've been close games. But I didn't realize that that he had won every one of them. Uh, yeah, I think Joe Burrow is – I mean, the, the playoffs have been this kind of exercise in seeing how good Joe Burrow is. That was unbelievable to go in to Buffalo in the snow and just pick them apart. And, and they, beat, they didn't just beat Buffalo. They, they absolutely, that wasn't even a close game. They were, the, Buffalo never was in that game. And uh, that's extraordinary. And if you can go do that in Kansas City, and, and again, I mean, the quarterback is hurt, and it'll be interesting to see if he can hold up. But I think this game's going to be a really close game as a result of Mahomes not being able to do much. And I honestly think that Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in the NFL. Wow. That's 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 big. That's a big statement. And who's I respect, better than him right now? Well, I think I think the key is what you just said. I think the right now is, is the caveat to all of it, right? I mean, if it was a hundred percent healthy, Patrick Mahomes versus Joe Burrow. Here's the other thing, and I understand the spirit of the question, but I just have to point out. I, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is zero three against Joe Burrow. I, I don't think Joe Burrow is covering the great wide receiving triumphant, if you will, that the Bengals have and a decent tight end and a running back and catch up. I mean, I don't know that it's fair to say that he's 0 for 3 when it's the Chiefs most of the time stink out loud defense the last couple of years. That's the reason. You know, it's not that they they just haven't been able to hold on to a lead. Um, but yeah, I think Burrow can, can prove any doubt or wrong. I mean, if Burrow goes into Kansas City, even with a not 100% Patrick Mahomes and gets the Bengals back to the Super Bowl back-to-back years, then yes, I will I will say that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the NFL if he can get that done on Sunday. Well, as we sit here today, Patrick Mahomes is compromised. And that compromises the Chiefs. And I do think that if Patrick Mahomes is hurt and injured and compromised on Sunday, that the Bengals are going to go into Kansas City and win. I, and I think that we're going to have a conversation leading up to the Super Bowl about who the best quarterback is in the NFL because Joe Burrow, after one victory, will he's one victory away from being referred to as the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's not that far behind now. I think out of respect and out of the career a resume that if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, he, to me, is still number one. He do he has won a Super Bowl. He has the other amazing highlights. He, he, can, he was better without Tyreek Hill because of the force of his talent. And so I do think that it's a very fun debate. It's, it's very early in their careers, respectively, to discuss legacies and who is this. It, it's going to be one of these ongoing conversations that might change and fluctuate every, every season or so, depending on who's around them, what their playoff uh, field looks like, and, and what their seating is, and all those kinds of things. It's very much like uh, Manning and Brady back in the day and whoever find two great quarterbacks that we always compared Joe Burrow is that good Patrick Mahomes already is there Joe Burrow if he if he is not better than Patrick Mahomes he certainly is right on his heels because he just makes everything look easy this will be a pick six 
there's your ball game. At his end-of-the-year press conference, Giants GM Joe Shane said this, a free agent to be running back Saquon Barkley. Listen, Saquon's done everything we've asked him to do, and he's, he's a good football player. Again, like uh, the positional value, we'll, we'll get into you know, how we want to build this team and allocate our resources, and that's, that's what it comes down to. Does that sound like a general manager prepared to keep his running back or move on? How high would Barkley be on the Bears' priority list? Well, I think that everything is relative, and what one family or one person or one team can afford might not be what other teams can fit into their budget. That's what this is all about. The reason we're asking this question to me is primarily because the Bears have $115 million under the salary cap. And to me, they can absorb, they can accept the reality of paying a guy like Saquon Barkley $15 million a year and fit him under their salary cap because he makes their offense different. He is one of these exceptions to the rule, the rule being that, no, this isn't a premium position and you can have the, the same logic you applied to the Roquan Smith discussion, to the running back discussion and Saquon Barkley with the Bears. The difference is that he was a new player you're adding and also you have the kind of cap space that, that few, every team would envy. You are a team also with the Bears you were leaning heavily into the running game. This is your strength. Saquon Barkley would make your strength even stronger. So I don't think that it's something you should talk yourself out of. I would more likely like to see them talk themselves into because you have the space, you can't afford it, and you're getting somebody that, yeah, you could make the argument that you'd be overpaying him to come to Chicago. But Saquon Barkley in Chicago would be good for the NFL and I think great for the Bears. Well, let's hope that uh, Saquon doesn't go across the street to the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 or, you know, they might be winning the Super Bowl next year. Um, yes, I think Saquon Barkley in a backfield with Justin Fields would be a heck, of a, a heck of a tandem. But here was something else from Joe Shane that I thought was very interesting, and maybe you guys will agree and we can get the audio for you. And Here's his quote. You shop hungry, you overpay. It's a bad deal, and then you get buyer's remorse. It's important in free agency to come up with the proper value. That's his philosophy on free agency. And I think that the Bears are starving, if you will, right? I mean, they, they're just not shopping hungry. They're shopping like they've been on a, a food strike or something, right? I mean, they are, they're malnourished. They need, and I just, I wonder if that's something that we as Bears fans, while we'll enjoy it when that, when that first big deal comes in, Will, will we as fans regret it, and then will Ryan Pace regret it? So be careful. I think that's pretty sound advice from Joe Shane. Are they in a hunger strike until they win a playoff game? <laughs> the, uh, there was a report out in New York yesterday that Barkley was offered uh, $12 million a year, a contract for $12 million a year during the, uh, the bye week, and he passed on it. And the rumor is that he, you know, he said that he doesn't want to reset the market but he's looking for $16 million a year, which is what Christian McCaffrey is making. So I think that might be too much money for a team like the Bears. I, I'm not sure. I, I, you know how I feel about it. You know, you you got to maximize what you do best. You've got to – if you – you know, if, you're, if you have made a decision not to bring back David Montgomery and now we know Tony Pollard's not going to be available – uh, rather than sitting pat or drafting someone young and trying to build for the future, there's a really good player that you could tap into and uh, and bring him on board. And and I think the difference is the, the Bears are not only shopping hungry, they've got an excess of cash. Like they can afford to pay top dollar for anybody they want and then some. So it, they've got to look not just – at how to spend correctly and spending smart. They got to look at how to maximize whatever it is they end up doing. They've got to spend a certain amount of money. That is just that is just they have to under the salary cap and there's also some NFL rule about a certain amount of cash over a 3 year period whatever it is. Uh, they got to spend money. So get the best players that you possibly can get and that costs a lot in these aisles. That's what would compel me the most is not necessarily you might be overpaying i acknowledge that yeah. but even after a 15 million dollar a year hit on saquon barkley let's say yeah. still got 100 million dollars under the cap oh yeah 
I mean, it's crazy how much money you have. All right, and that does change the way you shop, whether you should or not. You know, let's head down to Rodeo Drive. Uh, all right, 312-644-6767. We've got the extra point next. Want to get to all your calls today, too. Talk about all of these wonderful stories. It's Mully and Haw at Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 the score. Is Robbie Gold, who's 23 of 23 in field goals in the playoffs since the Bears cut him back in 2016, the ex-Chicago athlete that has thrived the most after a successful start to his career as a member of the Bears, Cubs, Sox, Hawks, or Bulls? Who else is in that mix? I think it's a short list. Robbie's got to be near the top of it. This is a guy that when he left in 2016 because of – uh, he was making too much money or he was presumed to make too much money. They needed to cut some space to make some room for some offensive linemen. Wasn't that the, the Josh Sitton year? Boy, if you do a domino effect, that's really something to see how that turned out. But Robbie Gold moves on without missing a beat. The Giants then the 49ers, and now here he is on the verge of another Super Bowl, 23-23 in the playoffs since the Bears let him go. I would think it reminds – it's reminiscent. You know, Greg Maddox did it with the Cubs – he went to the Braves and the, became a Hall of Famer. Uh, Horace Grant left the Bulls after a three-peat, went to the Magic, and had success there. Chris Chelios, our guy Chelly, we'll talk to him tomorrow. Maybe he's got a thought on this. But he certainly uh, had a couple uh, good experiences with, with winning the Cup in, in Detroit with the Red Wings. Um, I don't know if the White Sox, uh, uh, an example comes to mind. Maybe, Molly, the jog your memory. I, I'm not, car- not, nothing obvious comes to mind. Maybe I'm missing something. I think Carlos Rodon is on the verge of that. <laughs> a, a former White Sox guy joins the Yankees. He's going to be, he, it wouldn't be a shocker if he's a big difference in a, in a world championship for the Yankees. But it's never fun, I think, if you're a fan of the teams in town to see one of the guys that were you really you know, liked and appreciated and respected go on have this kind of success even though you are happy for a guy like Robbie Gold Um, my pick is going to be going to the Cubs I'll keep that consistent with me Uh, Greg Maddox right he's got to be the guy that got away all those Cy Youngs even though he came back Hall of Fame career um, to me he's he's the he's the guy he's the guy that definitely got away I I just thought of my socks one but I'll let Molly yeah it's Fernando Tatis Jr. right is that what you were thinking of? Uh, not well. That's that's a good one too. Oh gosh, I have two. <laughs> do, you, do you really want him back after what's happened? You know what? You're yeah. right. Well, I think you take him back, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think you take yeah. him. Yeah. Could he play uh, sh- uh, second base? Uh, or is Aloy going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite idea. Aloy just decides uh, there's an opening there. I, I claim it. Chris Sale. Yeah, Chris Sale. That's a good one too. Although, you know, I mean, all he did was win a World Series. What's he done since? Um, yeah, I, I got to tell you, um, it, it is, uh, it's bitter, the, the ex-Chicago uh, factor. Does Anthony Rizzo count or the fact that they haven't gotten a, uh, a World Series, does that still kind of sit out there a little bit? Well, when they are celebrating one, and if Carlos Rodon is on the mound and Anthony Rizzo sticks the ball in his back pocket, it's going to look very familiar to people on the north side. Boy, it's not going to look familiar to people on the south side. That's not going to be enough. That's going to be tough to watch. You know, I mean, honest to God, say what you want. Robbie Gold does not double-doink that kick. And I know we joke about that, but, you know, maybe we're not having a conversation about how long it's been since the Bears had a, a, a victory in an earlier question, a playoff victory, and who's ahead of them if they actually had uh, had gotten that field goal and and the guy didn't go on the Today Show and the whole nonsense that uh, I, went down from there. I think that's a really interesting point in question because had he stayed, he, he had – you know, he wasn't having the greatest, most consistent success like he's enjoying now. A lot of factors could have contributed to that, but he doesn't miss that kick against the Eagles. Nope. He probably is still here, and you can't think that you know what he's doing with the 49ers wouldn't be transferable even though the conditions would be more challenging. He's Robbie Gold. That's the yeah. way he got to be Robbie Gold, by conquering those elements. He's never uh, missed a field goal in the playoffs. Uh, he just hasn't. So that's pretty extraordinary. 
Yeah. That, that's a great – I mean, it's a – 29 out of 29. It's unbelievable. That, absolutely amazing. Uh, and I think that, you, you know, you look at that and you think about, um, you know, in a lot of ways, Robbie getting sent out of Chicago might have been the single best thing that ever happened to him. Because it, it, it like a lot of people – that, that have uh, stayed at a place a long time, he's revitalized by leaving, and he's still there, and he's, he's 40 years old, and he's still cashing checks and making money, and he's, he's, he's good. You know, he's, uh, he's not in trouble. He can play as long as he wants to. It's pretty extraordinary when you think about it. And if he wins a Super Bowl this year, he is 40. Not, you don't wonder so much, will he walk away because he's still at the top of his game but Molly, at some point in time, the next the next pick six question, the next big question to ponder with Robbie Gold is: Will he one day end up in the Hall of Fame? Not many, not many kickers get I, there. I know, right? Um, I, you know, I have a friend who texted me, Bobby Bonilla, because he made more bank, and he goes every every year <laughs> and gets a huge check. I don't know that he had a great career after leaving Chicago. Former White Sox, he, yeah, he made a fortune, didn't he? He did make a fortune, still making a fortune every July 1st. That's a good one. I, I just think, are we overlooking somebody obvious like I did initially with Chris Sale? There have been a lot of players that leave, and you have this sense of regret when you see them celebrating with somebody else in a different context. I just, uh, it, It's a fun conversation because there have been, unfortunately, too many examples. 312-644-6767. That is the telephone number. It's Mully and Hodge, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 and score. The topic of you uh, embracing that possibility of, you know, a designated hitter, I know uh, what you just said, but in those conversations that you've had with the coaching staff, have they uh, expressed to you that they would like you to embrace that DH role a little more? Uh, well, not really. <laughs> oh, my oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a oh. – oh, come on. Great question. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports <laughs> Radio 670, the score. Great question. It Like, apparently no one's talked to him about it. Apparently not. What wow. is that? Get the communicator communicating. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. All right. We've got a lot of people want to check in. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Hall. Let's get out to the phone lines. We've got uh, Kevin and Palatine, of all people. Kevin, good morning. How are you, buddy? Uh, Mully, I'm sure you are shocked beyond belief that I'm on the line after our uh, <laughs> friend sitting next to you after his comment. But I'm actually calling to pay David a giant compliment. Wow. So now we've gone from MVP to potential. And, David, you're learning, and I think it's awesome. Because that's <laughs> all he is. Because who Eloy thinks he is? Eloy thinks he's Julio Rodriguez. Eloy thinks he's Aaron Judge. And Eloy thinks he's Mookie Betts. That's who he wakes up every day thinking he is. And I know this triggers all Sox Twitter and James Fox isn't going to be able to eat breakfast. Because someone said something naughty about Eloy. He's just not that good, and he can't stay healthy. So, David, I want to give you credit because that's what it is. It's all potential, but you forgot the first word, unfulfilled. He will not play more than 90 games this year, but he does think that he's Mookie Betts. He absolutely wakes up every day thinking he is in those people's category, and that is the major problem here. And it's guys like Chuck Garfine and the rest of these guys who blow smoke up his rear end every day of the week that let him think that he's that, and he's not. Thanks, guys. Have an well, awesome day. Thanks, and Kevin. David, Thank thanks you, Kevin. For Appreciate it. Me. You know well, what? I, I, yeah, I'll, I, I'll say this, Molly, that Kevin, it, we, we knew he would call. I, I don't want to criticize Chuck and others, but I do think that his point about Eloy is well taken, and we all kind of do evolve in our opinions on guys. I love Eloy Jimenez, the player. I do still believe in his potential, but I'm also influenced by the fact that he's played 139 games the last two seasons and only has 505 at-bats in that time frame. That's not good enough, and that's getting in the way. Well, first of all, I hope that James Fox does not have his breakfast uh, milk spilled on him, whatever the call was. I like that guy. I like his podcast with our own uh, our, our own. Uh, uh, Michael, I, I and I, I gotta tell you, I, 
also, I'm a big fan of Chuck Garfine. So I don't think he's he's misleading us in anything. Um, I don't know. I, I, I get it. I, I think that it, it's fair for Kevin to criticize Aloy for not being what he thought he was or what we think he is. And maybe he does delude himself into believing he's better than that. But so what? A lot of people delude themselves uh, uh, as to how successful they are. I just want him to be a good designated hitter. That's yep. all I want. That's it. All right. Ron is on the south side. Ron, how are you? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Molly, uh, I was worried about you when you said you had a troubled mind um, this morning. You, must, you sound great. You must have found something around the station. <laughs> It's called I'm coffee, Ron. There you go. It's caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, real, real quick, guys. I don't care who gives him the message. I, all I've been hearing about the folder, he he can great communicate. I don't care if it's him, Kenny, Rick. You can bring Jerry down to talk to him. This is what you tell him. You win baseball, pitching, hitting, and catching the ball. Right. Let him know the White Sox had. If he doesn't know, the White Sox had one of the worst defensive outfields in baseball. What they want him and tell what we want you to do is work on, work on hitting between 35, 40 home runs, 100, 110 RBIs, and then just for for me, uh, that high mom, uh, you can knock that off, Eloy. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> I, that's when you lose Ron. I mean, come on. I think what he's asking for is a little bit more of a serious approach. We love right. the playfulness. It's great. With, for, Eloy has a tremendous personality and charisma. You just want to see some production. Let's try Joe. He's in Bartlett. Hey, Joe. Hi, guys. It's Mo, by the way, but that's oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, you're totally fine. Um, so, I'm not going to lie. Like, as a diehard Packers fan, uh, when I heard you guys talk about Saquon Barkley, like, potentially coming to the Bears, uh, it's kind of scary because I think that would be a really, really nice fit. But I often have, like, conversations with my friends about, like, David Montgomery. And I just feel like getting to talk to, like, my friends who are diehard Bears fans, I feel like a lot of fans are a little dismissive over Montgomery. Like, I love him. Uh, from a non-biased point of view, I love David Montgomery. Like, the tenacity he plays with, he's very passionate. And it seems like he's always falling forward. Like, I never see him, you know, falling backwards or, like, a tackle for a loss yep. type of thing. Um, I feel like the Bears would probably be better suited to, like, maybe go after a high-end wide receiver given like all the money they have um like they don't there's not the the wide receiver thanks for the phone call mo that they're the wide receiver market isn't there right i mean you'd have to make a trade if you wanted to do something like that so i i think that this is an easy position because they apparently don't want to pay uh david montgomery you start playing fantasy football and Listen, I understand that the value of the position isn't very high, but the value of that player is pretty good. I don't have anything against David Montgomery. My opinion on Saquon Barkley is not related to my evaluation of David Montgomery. Right. If I'm planning the Bears' 2023 offense and David Montgomery is the running back who ends up signing and staying, then I'm okay with that. You have maintained the status quo, and you, you bring back a guy that, when healthy, is very productive and maybe a tad bit underrated. But, Molly, we're talking about the difference between steady and spectacular. David Montgomery gives you steady. Saquon Barkley delivers spectacular. And standing behind Justin Fields on any given down in any given game, that is a video game waiting to happen. So that's a big difference. And if you have the money to spend it, all I'm saying is I could justify that expense because it is something that would make you different and special. And um, Adam Schefter has tweeted out this morning that Bill O'Brien has returned to New England and is going to be their offensive coordinator, which means he's going to be working with Mac Jones, who he worked with at Alabama when he held the same position there. Yeah, Bill O'Brien goes back to the safe comforts of the Patriots coaching staff and Mac Jones, the dirtiest quarterback in the NFL, and they can collaborate together and see what they've got. Is that because he kicked uh, what's the Oh, yeah. Okay. That, come right. on. That's hard, uh, that's hard to forget. Dirty, is that unfair? Dirtiest quarterback. 
know. Is that? It's, it's, it's the, he's not Conrad Dober. Okay. David, no. But that's funny. It's a funny Conrad. Kevin triggered me. I'm sorry. I'm a little that's bit very carried funny. away here. Yeah, yeah. Let's try, let's try <laughs> Mark. Mark's in South Bend. Hey, Mark. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Uh, one, uh, one, two former uh, Chicago players that left the White Sox that had big impacts after they left were Tommy, Tommy Agee with the Miracle Mets in 69, and Tommy John after his famous surgery by Dr. Frank Chobe. Uh, highly uh, career uh, successful career with the Dodgers and Yankees. And uh, beside the Bears needing uh, a, a wide receiver to put them eventually into the playoffs and win a, a playoff game such as Andre Hopkins, they also need a pair of edge rushers and offensive linemen to have the talent of those other uh, four teams and don't forget that three technique while you're collecting all thanks mark things. appreciate the phone call you're right the bears have a lot of needs and going way back in the white Sox history those are yeah. two good ones tommy ag and tommy john love his surgery yeah uh, fantastic surgery um david what about um Artemi Panarin. I'm surprised you didn't mention Artemi Panarin. There's a lot of well, like, kind of he, those he got away. Hawks guys. Yeah, yeah, you know, with the Rangers, he has found success. He is a star, no doubt about it. They shouldn't have let him go, but I don't think that he has won anything yet. Not that that's a, a prerequisite, right. but you do miss Artemi Panarin. Brandon Side is somebody who I think was uh, let gone to. He maybe won a cup with the with the yeah. Avalanche. So there they are hockey examples everywhere. Yeah, okay. So that's a different sport, and there's more movement, I guess. Is that your answer? Well, I think that you know, it's a good one. I mean, you open that door, and there are a lot of ex-Hawks have walked out of the United Center that have yeah. had success elsewhere because of what they were trying to do to maintain that kind of success and stay on top. All right, 312-644-6767. We're switching gears. We're going to bring in Casey Johnson. We're going to talk to uh, – our man with the Bulls will find out uh, if he got us any souvenir from Paris. <laughs> I, I, I just went to Paris, and I'm finishing up the soap I bought this summer. I bought, like, a wow. nice Parisian soap, David. Did you bring back it's a box? It's hard to get an unscented uh, bar of soap, uh, but I managed it, and I'm going to miss it when it's finished. I, I'm impressed it lasted seven months. It wasn't quite, you know – I, I don't use it all the time, only when I want to stink I, nice. I wasn't going to say it anything. Has no scent. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, very nice. I do shower once okay. a week. Okay. So that's how it's lasted. KC is next. It's Mully and Haw, the score.